section fifteen of edmund dantes this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. edmund dantes by edmund flagg chapter fourteen the minute vials even to the communists with whom he had come into such close contact m dantes the deputy from marseilles remained as much of a mystery as ever marrast though now devotedly attached to him admitted that he was totally unable to fathom either his designs or his methods of accomplishing them while lamartine who was in his company a large portion of the time when questioned concerning him replied that all he knew of m dantes was that he was a firm friend of the cause and an untiring worker in the interest of the weary and oppressed masses Debray, though he had no tangible foundation for it could not get rid of the idea that the dangerous deputy and the count of monte cristo were one and the same individual but beauchamp with the usual incredulity of journalists scoffed at the notion and chateau renaud derided it whenever it was mentioned in his presence that m dantes had great wealth was however generally admitted though whence it was derived or in what manner it was invested no one could tell it was now no longer a secret that he had purchased and resided in the magnificent mansion formerly owned by the count de morcerf in the rue de helder and this circumstance while it vastly augmented the interest attaching to him did not in the least detract from the enthusiasm felt for him by the working classes it was night in a large chamber richly furnished but dimly lighted in the mansion in the rue de helder the same apartment once inhabited by the countess de morcerf motionless and seemingly lifeless with a countenance as pale as alabaster and as still lay m dantes the deputy from marseilles although in the ashy pallor of the lips and brow and the fixed serene almost stern aspect of the immovable face might be read unmistakable evidence of an exhausting and dangerous constitutional shock to the system yet none of that emaciation over which broods the shadow of the angel of death resulting from protracted illness was there to be seen the broad white forehead the raven hair sparsely sprinkled with silver the round temples the delicately pencilled brow encircling like a sable arch the large and almond-formed eye the full calm lip and the chiselled chin and nostril all these were as perfect now as when last before the reader the cheek was perhaps slightly sunken but it could not be more pallid than when last beheld and but for that nameless quietude that rapture of repose as lord byron well expresses it that placid languor which sleeps on the features which illness always creates and which spiritualizes and intellectualizes the most common features the invalid might be supposed to be enjoying the most quiet slumber excepting the invalid there was no one in that chamber save the faithful ali who moved noiselessly about from time to time or sat immovably upon the floor and gazed on his master's pallid face 
as the silvery tones of the chamber clock tinkled forth the third quarter after ten the door opened and a small dark thin man with large whiskers keen penetrating eyes broad bald forehead thinly covered with gray hair and apparently about fifty years of age briskly entered it was dr orfila a name somewhat known in medical science approaching the bed he placed his fingers upon the sick man's pulse and gazed earnestly on his face for some time in silence strange he at length muttered the most powerful drugs in the most unheard-of quantities are powerless who then is this man whose nature so differs from that of every one else can he so have accustomed his system to poisons that as with the king of pontus they are ineffectual to help or to harm him his constitution must be iron the vitality of a dozen men is in him or he'd have been dead a month ago well it's plain he's no worse if he's no better drugs are useless and he must be left to nature and his amazing constitution this stupor this utter death of all the faculties and senses for so long a time is wonderful fever delirium anything but this death-like trance it seems as if this man had been sleepless all his life before and that now his overwrought brain and heart were compensating themselves for the toil and wakefulness of years could i but excite the nerves for some time the physician gazed in deep thought at the pale face of the unconscious slumberer suddenly turning to the nubian he said to him ali where does your master keep the drugs he has been for years accustomed to take the nubian stared in mute amazement but moved not from his rug ali said dr orfila sternly unless i see and know those drugs this night your master dies the nubian looked anxiously into the face of the physician and then as if satisfied with the scrutiny rose and with noiseless steps left the room in a few moments he re-entered and placed in the physician's hands a small casket of ebony exquisitely worked and studded with gems taking it hastily to the shaded lamp upon a table at the extremity of the chamber he attempted to open it but his attempts were vain indeed to all appearances it was a solid block of ebony and its extreme heaviness compared with its dimensions seemed to favour the idea well said the doctor returning the casket after a close scrutiny to the nubian who had followed him ali took the casket and an instantly a portion of the top flew up disclosing within the centre of the cube of ebony a cavity lined with crimson velvet and a dazzling array of minute vials of crystal each filled with a fluid pink blue green and yellow in hue while the contents of several were colourless the nubian had touched a spring concealed in the carving and known only to his master and himself the physician removed the minute vials one after another from their receptacles and held them up to the light on each was a cipher and on no two was the same most of them were quite filled with the fluid contained but some were only half full while one was nearly empty 
dr orfila looked closely at the cipher upon each vial as he removed it from the casket he then held it to the light to determine its particular hue or shade and sometimes withdrew the crystal stopper ground into the deep mouth touching it cautiously and quickly to his nostril or the tip of his tongue morphia cinconia quinia lobelia belladonna narcotina bromine arsenicum strychnos calabrina bruchia ferruginia muttered the savant as he examined one vial after another and replaced it bruchia ferruginia ha brucine i thought as much exclaimed he holding up the vial which showed by being nearly empty that its contents had been used more frequently than those of any of the others how many drops of this is the greatest number your master has ever taken asked dr orfila the nubian who it will be remembered was a mute held up both hands with the fingers outspread and then two other fingers of one of his hands twelve drops cried the astonished physician impossible ali insisted on the assertion and yet it must be so the doctor added that would explain all taking the vial and a minute crystal vessel which he found in the casket he hastily but carefully dropped into the latter thirteen drops then filling the vessel with water he approached the patient who still slumbered heavily on and placed it to his lips for an instant he seemed conscious of the wish of the physician and with an effort the mixture was swallowed then he lay as still and motionless as before returning the vials in the vessel to their places dr orfila closed the casket and gave it to the nubian he then gazed long and anxiously at the torpid slumberer standing at the bedside and watching that marble face at length the clock struck eleven dr orfila started and hastily glanced at his repeater then turning to the nubian who had carried away the casket and having noiselessly returned stood silently beside him he said ali in one hour your master will be in high fever in two hours he will probably be delirious he will then sleep soundly and toward morning will wake i hope in his right mind but terribly exhausted and profusely perspiring at daylight i shall be here you must not leave him for a single instant as you value his life the nubian clasped his hands above his head and bent his forehead almost to the floor if you think necessary however ali send for me before morning the physician gave one more look at his patient pressed his fingers on his pulse placed his palm on his forehead and then taking his hat and cane left the chamber End of section fifteen.